0: Uh, Well, today is uh, the purgatory of holidays. I don't know if you know this or not. It's after Thanksgiving, uh, but it's before uh, December, Uh, and so it's not Christmas yet. And I don't care when you started playing Christmas music, it's not Christmas season yet. Even if you're uh, like Dustin in first service, who's been listening to it since November 1st, it's wrong, and, and I'm here to set that record straight uh, today. So this is purgatory. This is kind of in the middle, right? It's, it's not Christmas yet. It's Thanksgiving's over. Everybody's happy. And, and uh, I just thought maybe it might be fun today to just pause for a second uh, and ask the question, today, what are we thankful for? Uh, Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Psalms 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. See, one of the temptations of being a Christ follower for any amount of time, I mean, I, I've, uh, for me, it's the majority of my life. Uh, when you are a Christ follower for that long, there's this danger of getting accustomed and comfortable to the blessings of God for our lives. We we begin to take them for granted and we fail to stop and just be thankful. And so maybe today we just pause for a moment and we reflect on what we could be thankful for. I have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my wife Kelly. if you know me at all, you know how much she puts up with. And and she she does it with grace and mercy and forgiveness. I'm thankful for my kids. My kids are turning out to be okay, <laughs> despite of us. In spite of us, you know, they're, they're actually good kids. And hopefully, I mean, we still have a few years. Hopefully, we won't screw it up in the next few. But, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for, uh, in no disrespect to other countries, I've had the opportunity to go to other countries, but I'm, I'm thankful to, to be American. I'm, I'm thankful to live in a country that gives us the freedom to be able to do this, to gather together under in, in the freedom. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. Uh, we have a good church. We're not a perfect church, uh, but we're a good church. Uh, and I like being a part of this church. Regardless of, of who you are this morning or regardless of, of what circumstance you find yourself in today, because I recognize that this is this can be a difficult time for people. Uh, it's the holidays, and for some, uh, maybe you've lost a loved one this year and now you're facing the holidays with without that person in your life, or maybe you've just lost a loved one in the past and and every holiday season is a challenge for you. I get that so some are battling uh, illnesses, some even terminal illnesses and and so it's it's hard in this season to really be thankful, but I, I think that regardless of of who you are or what circumstance you're in, I think we could all agree that we ought to be thankful to God for who He is. I want to I want to take a look this morning on just a, a few characteristics of who God is, and uh, and just be thankful today for for who He is in our life. If you have your notes, you can flip to them and. The first blankets, be thankful for his goodness. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Psalm 135, 3, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises unto his name, for it is pleasant. We serve a good God. And this topic of goodness can actually be challenging for someone who's actually going through difficult circumstances. Some of the same circumstances that I was just talking about, that if you're in the midst of difficult times, the goodness of God can actually be a bit challenging for us. Uh, It's the adage of, you know, why do bad things happen to good people, uh, and we could flip that saying to say, well, why do good things happen to bad people, right? It's, it's this idea that in difficult times, if we don't understand the character of God, if we don't understand who he really is, we could begin to question God's goodness. I've been looking into Irish history recently. Um, you know, I don't know why, uh, just because. It turns out that I'm a little Irish, I don't know how much Irish, uh, you know, I nobody's accusing me of being a leprechaun or anything, but I, I'm a little Irish. In fact, I found out that m- my last name, Coffee, used to be O-Coffee. Uh, and then when they came to the U.S., they dropped the O. I don't, again, I don't know why, but uh, now it's just coffee. And this last week, Kelly and I were in an Uber uh, with the, the keyboardist for the band The Killers. And if you don't know who The Killers are, that's okay. It's not, that's not relevant to the story. But he's Irish. And he was t- asking me about why I like Ireland so much and if I'd been and I hadn't been. And, uh, and he, he said, well, what's your last name? And I said, it's coffee. He's like, oh. He's like, that's a Dublin name. He's like, there's all kinds of coffees. Here, there's no coffees. Anyways, you guys don't care. But <laughs> all that to say... I'm, I'm, I'm looking into the history of it, and, and it's, it's pretty fascinating to me because it's not a history that I've known uh, very well. But it turns out that uh, there was this potato farmer, and he, he started digging into the bogs of Ireland. And, and as he was digging, he discovered some, some cups, some old cups, some chalices. And, and the bogs, the mud of the bog, actually preserved these chalices really well. And there's these two cups that I want to pay attention to today. The first is known as the Gunderstrip Cauldron, and it comes from a century or two before Christ. Right? So Christ hasn't come along yet, and, and this cup is a representative of their culture. And this was a time in which the Irish worshipped these violent pagan gods. And it's adorned with all kinds of pictures of their gods. And, and there's this one picture on the cauldron, it's pretty big. There's this one picture, and you can Google it, where there's, uh, there's a god that's holding a man upside down and getting ready to dip him into a vat of, of oil. And then there's all these people lined up uh, because they believed in, in the human sacrifice to appease their gods. Just a light little Thanksgiving message for you today, right? Human sacrifice. and The second cup is called the Ardig Chalice, and it comes from the 7th or 8th century after Christ. So the first one was before Christ. They're worshiping these pagan gods. The second one comes after Christ, when the Irish had turned to Christianity. Like the first one, it's, it's really this amazing craftsmanship, but it's radically different. It's, it's just simple and in its intricate pattern. It's, it's this cup of peace it was designed to use for communion. And as the worshiper lifts it to, to their lips, they're reminded that this God did not demand human sacrifice. That this God instead sacrificed himself for everyone. It's interesting to me the difference between the before Christ and the after Christ that it's like, yeah, we're gonna go with this one right here. Our God is a, a good, good God. As a reminder, Psalm 34, 8, o taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. We have a God who is good. We also have a God, and we could be thankful for him, because that he is love. We can be thankful for his love this morning. 1 John 4 8 says, He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Oswald Chambers uh, says it like this God is love, not God is loving. See, God and love are synonymous. Love is not an attribute, it is God. W- whatever God is, that's what love is. And if your conception of love does not agree with justice and judgment and purity and holiness, then your idea of love is wrong. God is, in and of himself, love. The third thing that we could be thankful for this morning is we can be thankful to God for his Son. 2 Corinthians 9.15 reminds us that that we are to be thankful unto God for this unspeakable gift, his gift of his son Jesus Christ to this earth who was sacrificed for us. What's great about the life of Jesus while he wandered this earth, as we look at the life of Jesus through his years of ministry, what we find is a reflection and an example, excuse me, an example of how we are to live, right? We look to him as our model for what it is to live a Christ-centered life. I recently discovered three things that cause our life and our really our thankfulness to begin to drift. Those are the very same things. Those three things are the very same things that the devil tempted Jesus with while he was in the wilderness. Right? He, he tempted him with with his appetite, with his ambition, and with approval. And those are some of the same things, even today, that, if we're being honest, are the primary things that we are tempted with, that we, are, that we drift towards. And some may drift towards others uh, in, in a stronger way, but, but those are the three things that we tend to drift towards. The other sin issues are, are secondary to these primary temptations that the devil tempted Jesus with. I'll, I'll show it to you in scripture, and uh, I, I believe we have the account of Luke in this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, no big shock, he was hungry. And the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. The first temptation was his appetite. He's been wandering in the wilderness. He's he's hungry. And the devil says, here, you can turn that into bread. Turn it into bread. Have something to eat. And the issue here with the temptation of appetite is really need and satisfaction. That if we If we aren't satisfied, we need something, and we'll do whatever we can to to fill that craving in our life. And it may not be food, or it may be food. It, it, it It may not be food, but it might be money. It might be sex. It might be... Your craving may change, but the appetite is there. It is the thing that that when we're in the midst of difficult circumstances, when we're struggling in this life, we tend to cope towards this appetite, this fulfilling the craving of our life, whatever that is. It goes on and says the the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This, This idea of ambition that we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to even compromise, if necessary, to get ahead. What is the ambition in your life that maybe the enemy is, is tempting you with today? goes on and says that in verse 5 that the devil led him up to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, It is, oh, excuse me, I already read that, sorry. Um, The devil led, verse nine, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he says, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command you his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in the hands so so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus in this moment if he were to curl himself off and allow the angels to protect him, in that moment could have garnered the approval of the masses. In that one miraculous event, this public event, he could have gained approval from everyone in the world. And yet Jesus answers, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The issue of approval is rejection, and acceptance. The fear is that if I don't have the approval of others, I will be rejected by some. And if I'm being honest, this is my drift, right? If if we're looking at the three and we're saying, in the midst of complacency, in the midst of, of, of being on this treadmill of life, approval tends to be the place in which I drift. A guy by the name of Parker Palmer reminds us of this, and I'll read this quote to you, and I, I hope you hear it as me saying it. I'll, I'll come back to it in a second, but if I'm, if I'm to let life, my life, speak things I want to hear, things I would gladly tell other people, I must also let it speak things that I don't want to hear, and things that I would never tell anybody else. See, my life is not only about my strengths and virtues, it is also about my liabilities and my limits, my trespasses and my shadow. Inevitably, though, an often ignored dimension of the quest for a wholeness in our life is that we must embrace that which we dislike or find shameful about ourselves as well as what we are confident and proud of. In other words, we can't just present ourselves in all of the confidence of who who we think we are. We have to embrace the fact that I drift towards this, or you drift towards that. It doesn't mean we accept it. It doesn't mean it's okay. It just means that when we recognize it, when we know it, we can be honest about it. I don't like that approval is my drift. And if I, yet if I choose to ignore it, what will happen is I will fall deeper and deeper into a place of needing to be accepted by others. My life, as Parker says, is not just about my strengths and virtues, but my liabilities and limits. For the past few months, I've, uh, I've been struggling in this area of my life, actually. Right? And, it, and it's really birthed out of a, a sense of complacency. And maybe you could uh, identify, maybe I'm the only one that ever struggles in this area, but maybe you could identify with me in, the, in what it's like to just go through the motions. To, to get up every morning and to just go to work and put your time in and come home from work and or or maybe it's with your family and it's like it just it just you're going through the motions you're just hoping not to screw your kids up too bad and and it's like you just are doing this life you're on a it feels at times like this treadmill where you're not really going anywhere you're just running and running and running and what happens in those moments is it it breeds complacency it we forget to be in the presence of god I want to share with you something that I'm not really proud of, that as a communicator of information, I'm pulling information from all different sorts of places, Uh, different illustration, different ideas, different thoughts, and and pulling them and presenting a message, some of which come from networks that we're a part of, some of it comes from research. Uh, But nonetheless, about a month ago, I inserted, I crossed a line I said I would never cross, and I inserted myself into a couple illustrations. And essentially, these illustrations, although I may have identified with them, weren't my illustrations to give. And and lest we minimize this, it really was lying. Now, I I tell you that because, first of all, I want to apologize to you for it, but you need to know that That I have people in my life who now know that approval is my drift. That in the midst of complacency, it's easy to drift into a place of just needing approval. You also need to know that it won't happen again. And I'm sorry. What Jesus resisted personally in the desert with the devil, determined the power with which he lived this life. He had, Jesus had the power to resist that temptation. And sometimes it feels as though we walk through this life and we're being tempted all the time and, and that we can't resist it. But I would remind you that what Jesus defeated permanently at the cross Determines the power with which we can live. Determines the power with which you and I can live. At the cross, Jesus becomes everything that tends to plague us. Jesus becomes needy so that we can be satisfied. He says, and you're like, I don't think Jesus was needy. He says, I'm thirsty. He becomes needy so that we can be satisfied. Jesus becomes weak. So that we can become strong. Jesus becomes rejected so that you and I can be accepted. I'm thankful for his son today. I'm thankful for the act of crucifixion on the cross, the sacrifice that Jesus made. I'm thankful that he went to the cross so that I don't have to drift. Isaiah 53, 4 through 8 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's with his wounds that we can be free from the temptation of appetite, ambition, or approval, and we can rest in the satisfaction and the strength and the acceptance of his grace. Part of the reason that we drift, part of the reason we find ourselves drifting is because we don't spend time in his presence, but this morning we can be thankful to God for his presence. Isaiah forty one ten says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. The, the beauty of our God is that we have a God who invites us into his presence, we don't have to fear when we come into his presence. We don't have to come in with fear and trembling. We can come in with the confidence that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We get to step into his presence because he is love and he is goodness. We can also be thankful this morning for his church. Psalm one says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. In Hebrews, it talks about not forsaking the gathering of the saints. That we get to be thankful that we have a community of faith in which we get to gather, in which we get to have relationship with, to where we get to worship our God. As I've said in past weeks, you can hear messages, you can can listen to worship, and lots of different opportunities and podcasts and all of that. But when we gather together as a church family, we get to experience the presence of God like none other, like a way in which we could never do alone. C.S. Lewis says, Left to oneself, one could easily slide away from the faith once given into a phantom that's called my religion. I'm grateful for our church primarily because I don't think anybody's pretending like they have it all together, right? It's not us, and if, if that's you, stop it. Don't, don't do that. We're, we're a church that's about, about connecting people to the real love of Christ, a love that is without judgment, a love that is without condemnation. That is the love of Christ. That we would be a people that introduce others as they walk through our doors. That we would, as I said in our huddle this morning, that we would be the first line of love to them. Our church values generosity with their time, with their money. Our church is is one of the most generous churches that I, in all of the circle of friends that I have, that I know of that we, we just serve so faithfully. And listen, it's not that there's not opportunities to get involved and be a part, but, but percentage-wise, we're just a giving church with our time on Sundays, with our, with our resources. We, we, we engage into the, the heart of God to reach the least of these in our city. Whether it be in the in the foster care system or whether it be lavish that we heard about last week or any of our partnership ministries, we're engaging into the heart of God. Whether it be taking care of these of the poor in in Colombia, where we're giving them the opportunity to succeed at life in sponsoring a child. We are engaged in that as a church, and I'm thankful for that. We we connect people to the real life that God has called us to live. A life that's not in despair. A life that's not lived in fear, but a life of joy. A life, as Scripture says, an abundant life. See, abundant life isn't just life, it's abundant life. Life is the treadmill. Life is going through the motions. Life is is just doing the work. Abundant life is what he has for us. Abundant life is seeing grace and mercy flow. Abundant life is seeing God do abundantly more than we could ever dream or imagine through this church. I love our church. love you guys. But I don't think we've arrived. I pray that moving forward, we are more empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to do the work of the ministry than ever before. God has more for Lifehouse. In the, in the coming years, we, we can experience more than we've ever experienced. I've been here now uh, 11 years, almost 11 and a half years. And some people in, in my circle would say, uh, that's a long time. That's a long time to be pastoring a church. And, you know, it seems like pastors are moving around to different churches all the time. I don't see it that way. I see it in human years. This isn't dog years. We're talking human years, right? And in human years, an 11, almost 12-year-old is, is awkward, no offense, eleven or twelve-year-olds. I was one once, and it's just an awkward stage of life, right? And I'm not. Listen, the life of our church is, is older than eleven or twelve. I, I get that, but I'm really talking in uh, in the life of our church since since we've arrived uh, uh, to almost twelve years ago. That that in this season of the life of our church, it is a little awkward. It's kind of we're, we're we're getting bigger and we're fumbling around and we're trying to get things figured out and uh, and every now and then a zip pops out, and, and we're like, I don't know what to do, and we're emotional, right? And and yet, if you look at the life of a 12-year-old, if you knew now what, or if you knew then what you know now, how many of you would go back? I would, because I, I was kind of a jerk, and, and and I would talk to that dummy at 12, and I I would. I would give some instruction and say, "Listen to me. I know you better than (laughs) anyone." I feel like that is where we're at with our church. I believe, and and obviously, I'm I'm the primary leader in this church or the uh, the senior leader in this church, and so it's it's of course it's what I'm going to say. But I do believe that. Because of the circumstances we're in, in, the, in this time, and the people that God's gathered, the collective potential that he's gathered into this place, that we are positioned to grow into something that is impactful in our world. And I don't mean grow like as in numbers or money, because that's, that's how many churches measure success. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the power of God and the presence of God. I'm talking about the opportunities that we will have and the influence that we can have in this world. That as a church, as we begin to step into the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God can do amazing things. Isaiah 61 verse 3 has become kind uh, it's really, the beginning is verse 3, but goes on, is become kind of these life verses for me. But I don't think that they're just for me. I mean, you could say, well, if they're your life verse, then that's part of what, what we're about as a church. But I really do believe that this is who we are as we move forward, as we grow into this. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, it says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to, uh, to take care of the poor. I mean, all of these things that are really good, that as a church we should be about. But it's these verses that really have, have impacted my life and are something that I believe that God wants to, to speak over all of us as we step into this new season of life. As we go through these seasons personally, individually, in our, in our humanness, we also go through these seasons of church. It says, comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them, and I want you to hear the, the differences, right? To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I don't think it's any coincidence that we live in oaks, oak. We live in stone oak. We live in in the city of oaks. And is it possible that God has planted us here as a testimony to what he wants to do for his kingdom? He wants us to be a people who take Those who are mourning and those who are in despair and bring life and joy to them. That's the picture of what God has called our church to be in this world. The question is, will you come? Will you come on the journey? Will you be a part of it? I don't know what it all looks like. We don't have it all figured out. We don't even know what the next three years look like. But we're in the process of figuring it out. The next three years, five years, ten years of what it could look like as a church to be a city on a hill, to be a light in a dark world, to be a people who bring beauty instead of ashes and joy instead of despair. I believe we can get there. I believe we're positioned to be there. And I hope that you'll be a part of that with us. Let's pray.